Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Text this morning is Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupts and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for else he will love the one and hate the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for teaching us. May our eyes be open to behold wondrous things out of your law. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We come this morning to one of the most enigmatic passages in the Sermon on the Mount. It's couched between two sections that we're much more familiar with. The section of lay up treasure in heaven and you can't serve God and mammon. So when you, when you have two offsetting sections like that and something that's kind of odd in the middle, it's easy just to say, well, I know it's really important and I'll get to it at some point, but not right now, so we just kind of bump and just you know scoot right over it. We know it's inspired, but it's unique. While it does fit with Jesus' wider presentation, if, we, if you look at it, you, you might ask, why does he use such poetic or obscure language? Why doesn't Jesus just get to the point and say what he means? Have you ever thought that? Well, that's actually part of what he's doing. In this, he is calling us to, in this passage, to a new way of seeing the world. And a new way of seeing the world doesn't come with one pop on the head, 180 degree turn, now everything is glorious and wonderful. It's not how it happens. He changes our vision a little bit at a time. Now, I know many of you in this room either have glasses or have contacts. And if you don't, you don't know the feeling of having blurry vision. 
You want to know something interesting about blurry vision? A lot of the people that have it don't know they have it. They think everybody sees this way or doesn't see this way, whatever the case may be. They don't know until somebody, you know, until they're looking at something and the person says, I can't see that. And their neighbor says, what? You can't see that. What's your problem? Oh, yeah, I can see that, of course. You know, you know, I want to save face. But actually, you can't. But then, when you get your vision checked and then they, they give you that pair of glasses and it's a great feeling. You can tell I actually had this happen, okay? I'm, I'm, I was 12 years old. I was made fun of by my youth director because I couldn't see something. If you've ever been made fun of by your youth director, he doesn't get much lower than that in evangelical circles. But I was a preacher's kid, so we could, they could do that. So anyway, but then I got glasses, and then the feeling of going everything blurry to putting those glasses on, it was amazing because I could see things. I could see things that I hadn't seen before. Well, that... For us to understand what Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount and how, and really the broader vision that he's presenting is how God's kingdom works. In order for this to make sense, our vision must be cleared. And the problem for us is compounded because it's not only one or two of us with poor vision, all of us have poor vision. And what did Jesus say about when the blind lead the blind? This is not something the power of positive thinking can correct. If a blind person is leading another blind person, they're both going to fall into a ditch. Or worse. Those with the clearest vision, the truly clearest vision, are often the ones we consider kind of odd or special. Those are the people who do things that really don't make sense. Maybe they are actually, maybe what they're doing does make sense. Maybe it's just they're seeing things that we don't. Gaining new vision is not, as I said, immediate, but it's slow. It's hard won. And when you come to a passage like this, especially from Jesus, you can count always on one thing. If there's, you ever come, and not just here, but anywhere else in the Gospels, you come to something that doesn't make a lot of sense from Jesus, that's on purpose. It's not like somebody's, you know, what somebody says, you know this is hard to understand, right? And he says, oh, well, of course. Why didn't I think of that? No, if it's hard to understand, it's, it, he says it that way because he wants you to dwell there. He wants you to abide, to meditate this is how his people are transformed. Now you can call this a Christian worldview, but I want to, I want to distinguish something. It's not, it, this, this view of the world, this vision doesn't come from propositions we remember, from things that we ingest, but from wisdom we inhabit. And that in time inhabits us. We begin with Jesus saying to not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth, but instead lay up treasure in heaven. 
This is not only a reference, as I said the last time, to just our giving, at least our giving of our treasure, but it, it is all the things that we do, all of our righteous acts. And then it will lead to what Jesus will say in the following portion after this in the rest of chapter 6. In verses 19 and 20, though, we see that it's not a question of whether you will lay up something. It's where will you lay up what you receive. You're investing some way, somehow. Every person in this room, whether you are two years old or whether you are 102 years old, you are investing your actions, your words, your gifts. You have a lot of things that God has given you. You're going to channel those things one place or another. So the question is, how? Are you putting it in the place where you're trying to build yourself? You're trying to protect yourself, establish yourself, make sure you have a reputation that other people recognize and it doesn't, mean that, it doesn't mean that you're trying to be the, the president of the United Nations. I could give you a lot higher aspirations than that, actually, if, you, if that's what your main aspiration is. But it, it could just mean something small. It could be something just, I want my family to know I am the smartest person here. And then we just tack on to the glory of God to make it sound good. Or, you fill in the blank. Are you laying up treasure in that way? That's treasure on earth. Or are you laying it up in heavenly places? Laying it up in heavenly places doesn't mean I, 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 that it's, you calculate it by how much you've given to the church over the last 12 months. And if you've given a certain percentage, then, all right, that part's taken care of. No. You lay up treasure in the heavenly places, in, the, in that invisible realm that many cannot see, in many other things in addition to what you give financially to one institution. But we are always giving. And then Jesus says, of course, where your treasure is, there your heart also is. Now we usually interpret this as your investment testifies to what you value the most. True, it does. But the way you spend your time, the way you spend your, your abilities, your talents, as well as your, your wealth, every time you give that somewhere, each investment places more of your heart in that place. So it doesn't just reveal where your heart is. It is something that you are putting your heart somewhere. Everything you do, when you choose to spend money in, instead of on yet another streaming video service, and instead you take that and you give to something else. Or when you could spend your time on doing one thing, to please yourself, but rather you give it to something else that's actually going to benefit someone else more than it does you. This is the difference. Your stewardship of your resources is tied to your heart. So the question is, where are you putting your heart? 
Thankfully, this also means you can give of yourself even when you don't feel like it. I remember talking to a man once who said, you know, I, I know that I should give to the church, but God's word says that God loves a cheerful giver. And because I can't give cheerfully, I'm just not going to do it because I have to be obedient to Scripture. That's kind of backwards. But he does have a point, right? Scripture does say that, right? But the answer doesn't mean we just don't give unless we feel like it. There's, there are many of you who go to work in the morning not because you're excited about it. You don't have to amen that, but I, I'm, I'm just taking it on faith that that's the case. There are times you don't want to get out of bed. Your, your, your lovely children come and they knock on the door politely and they say, Dear mother, dear father, I would like some breakfast right now. And you, well, how do you answer that? You don't always say, well, of course, dear child, I would be honored to serve you in this way. Maybe you do sometimes, but then there's those other times, 90 plus percent. Well, you do things even though you don't feel like it. Because you're, you do, you're acting, when you do that, you're acting in faith. When you do what is right, even when you don't feel like doing what is right, you are putting a down payment towards something. You're putting your heart into something and you're trusting that God will work in such a way that He will bring the rest of you in line with what He's called you to do. If you spoke graciously to your spouse or your co-worker or your kids or your parents or your siblings only when they deserved it, how often would you speak graciously? So we must at time act, and this is what faith does. We must act in faith when sight is missing. We must act in faith when feeling is missing. And that's what Jesus addresses in these next verses. How can I better see eternal life? How can I see God's kingdom? Well, our vision must be healed. This is how our sight catches up to what we do in faith. Our eyes were given not only for navigation purposes, but they were given to behold glory and beauty. That is to see God and His goodness. But we've lost the ability to behold. We, we, we have sight, but our vision is lacking. We're not able to wonder, to receive through our vision. Some come into the world with spiritual cataracts. That is part of their vision is cloudy, hazy, or dark. You have significant cloudy spots that are just not very open to sight. Or others have a type of glaucoma. The nerves of their soul have been damaged and they struggle to distinguish good from bad. 
and they harm themselves unintentionally because they walk into things that they're not able to properly perceive. Some are spiritually nearsighted. They only care about right now, what they can see in front of them and don't give any thought to doing anything for the long term. It's just whatever gives me pleasure and joy right now. But others are woefully farsighted. That is, they only think about things that are so far out and so abstract that they're actually missing what God has put right in front of them and the people God has put in front of them. All of these problems and many more keep us from having eternal vision. Just a, a side note here. When you're reading in the book of John, you, you notice that, that, that the apostle John does not talk about the kingdom of God like the other apostle or like the other writers of the gospels do. Something that, that, that one pastor helped me see years ago, if, if when you come in the book of John to the words eternal life, if it helps, because that, that can be a kind of vague thing. And John uses a lot more symbolic language than the other writers. Think of eternal life as God's kingdom. Now, I'm not saying it works 100% of the time, but it will open up things to you in reading that you probably haven't seen before. It was a tremendous help to me. But, but still, whether God's kingdom or eternal life, we need to see these things. And, and our, our eternal vision is blurred. God made the light to enter through our eyes. So when he says the light or the lamp of the body is the eye, it doesn't mean that our eyes are burning bright. It means that light comes through our eyes, but also it comes back out. You, people, you know how you've seen people who have a defeated soul. And it's reflected in their eyes. So it's a two-way thing. It's like a window. And if our vision, as Jesus says, is single is, or is clear or whole, then our souls can receive as they were intended to receive. But if, on the other hand, our vision is cloudy, if it's darkened, if it's stunted, we miss the blessings of eternal life. All the things that God intends for us, we can't enjoy. We can't receive them. And we confuse things. Did any of you, when you were kids, I don't know, did any of your grandparents ever have that wax fruit? You know what I'm talking about? Some little kids may, may not know what wax fruit is. I can remember I go to my grandmother's house. She had plastic and wax fruit. And I used to, I remember one time I was hungry. She had these plastic grapes. They looked so real. And my mom said, you don't want that. I said, can I have one of those? No, you can't. Well, guess what I did? When my mom left the room, I was obedient. No, I wasn't obedient at all. Actually, I popped one of those grapes, I put it in my mouth, and that was the most terrible tasting fake fruit I've ever had in my life. Because it had been sitting there for about two decades. 
And it had been dusted twice in those two decades. I can verify that. This is what happens when our vision's messed up. We can't distinguish real from fake. And we think all of this stuff that we suppose is real, we're going for, we're putting our heart and soul into, and then all the things that God has for us, we're totally bypassing. We can't see it very well. It's like we, it's like we are billionaires who are blind. And, and we're blind and we think we live in this cave. We actually live in a tremendous mansion, but, actually, but we think because we're blind and things are dark, we think we live in a cave. And we bump into a table full of sumptuous food. And we think that blasted rock. And then there's a warm bath prepared for us. And we go and, and we're led close to the bath and we think, oh, can't go in there. It's, it feels like there's water and I may drown, so i got to stay away. You know, all these great things and we just can't behold them. It doesn't matter how many blessings we have until our vision improves, we can't enjoy what's our inheritance as the children of God. Our blindness presents its own lurid vision of reality. It attempts to trick us into thinking that this world is the only thing. And that only what we can perceive right now is what matters. One really good perspective on this is C.S. Lewis's book, The Silver Chair, the, one, of the, one of the Narnia books in the Narnia Chronicles where the main characters must navigate. They actually have to navigate a cave and all of its deceptions underground to rescue a prince who is bound by evil enchantment in this particular chair. So, as Jesus will talk about later on in this passage, the spell for us of mammon must be broken. And please don't just think of mammon as cash. or digital cash, or whatever you we consider currency. But those things that would possess us, that, ha that must be broken for our vision to be restored. And Jesus' message in these verses and the rest of the chapter addresses our temptation to remain under mammon's enchantment. And our attempt to master the world under the vision, and the control of mammon. And there's a particular way of trying to rule the world, of trying to control the world that we've received from the world. Look, just all of you know this, but I'll say it anyway. When the devil offers you a way to possess the world, he says, no questions asked. Guess what? The at least his toes are crossed. There's always a catch. And it's actually the catch is your soul. It's not worth it. That's the same thing he offered to Jesus, the same thing he offered to Adam. And praise God, Jesus withstood 
that and other temptations as well. But all throughout his ministry, it didn't just stop there on the, on, in the wilderness, on the mountain. It continued. Jesus was tempted so many times to take possession, to take the kingdom his way. That is, excuse me, Satan's way. By way of control. By way of mammon. And he resisted. So we are called to break with a sly dragon and pursue heavenly glory. And in a wonderful, ironic twist, it's only that pursuing heavenly glory is the only way the earth will ever be brought in submission to Christ. You have to go for that in order for the world to be made right. So then, how is our vision purified? It's purified by coming into contact with the light. Proverbs chapter 4, Solomon addresses this, verses 18 and 19. There's a little bit more that I'm, I'm, I'm skipping over. He goes into to greater detail in verses 14 through 17, talking about the path of the wicked. He said, you need to stay away from that path. But then verse 18, the path of the just, he says, is as the shining sun that shines ever brighter under the perfect day. But the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. So the way of the wicked, as he says, it's the path that you, if you walk on that path, it gets darker and darker and darker. And then the path of the righteous is like the sun. It's like starting out on a journey early in the morning when the sun is just starting to come up. And as you continue walking, you continue moving towards the sun, it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And you say, why would anyone choose the dark path? Well, Jesus actually addresses that in John chapter 3. When he's talking to Nicodemus, and we, we, we love what he says to Nicodemus, you know, John 3, 16, famous passage, but then he doesn't stop at, at 16. He doesn't say, I'm done now, let me offer the invitation, every head bowed, every... You know, he doesn't do that. He keeps on going. In verse 19... Jesus tells him, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So why do we like darkness? Because it hides all the stuff that we want to hold. All the mess that we think is real, you don't have to worry because when it's dark, that fake fruit looks real. And it's laced with some pretty nasty, enchanting drugs. For everyone, verse 20, practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. The further we go down that path, the darker our vision, the more cloudy our vision becomes. But he doesn't end there. Verse 21, he who does the truth comes to the light. That his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. 
It's a scary thing to bring all of your deeds, your actions, everything to God. It's a scary thing to be exposed. Have you ever thought to yourself, I don't want to look in the mirror because I'm afraid of what I'm going to see? Some of you don't have much to worry about in that way. Some of us, me, it's not always a great thing, especially early in the morning. But you know what? You need to see what's in the mirror, right? You need to behold. The only way you can, you can have great mirrors, but unless there's light on, it won't matter. So come to the light. Now, when we come to the light, the evil's exposed. It's embarrassing. It's shameful. But it's only when you bring what you have, your burdens, your, your, your sin, everything, and you only allow the sun of righteousness to rise and to, to, to reveal to you what needs to be removed that your vision can be cleared. Our vision grows because we look to and follow the light. That is Jesus. Eternal life is bound up in the vision of God. This vision is much more important than the approval of people, than man's approval. So expose yourself to the light of Christ. Lay up treasure in the world to come, and you will learn to see both that world and this one. More like your heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word and we pray that you would indeed cause it to take root in our hearts. Through Christ our Savior we ask. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Dot com.